Psychology in Seattle. So, Berto, I thought we would just do some random stuff today. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor at Antioch University. Who are you, Beto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I teach courses on untying knots. So, once upon a time in Hollywood, have you seen it? Yes, I have. People want us to talk about it. Oh, my God. I just watched it last night. Rating out of 10. Oh, I'll give it a 9.5. Wow. At least a 9. Okay. Certainly at least a 9. At first, I gave it a nine, and then I sort of I watched it a second time. I was like, "Yeah, solid movie," and I, I gave it an eight. Okay, uh, but my eight is a rare rating. Sure, I know, I know. You give good, there's movies you love that you gave a six, right, or a seven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because by definition, you know, numeric wise, yeah. like five means you know okay, I, and, and six means it's better than a lot of movies. You know, I'll have to watch it again, but you're gonna think this may be a sacrilege, but it's my new second favorite. Tarantino movie. Well, let's go. Uh, let's go into that. So, okay. uh, what are what are your what are your ratings for all of the Tarantino's movies? So, Pulp Fiction for me is a ten. Okay, that's just a ten. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, I my previous favorite it was actually Django. Yeah, Django. I gave that at like a nine at least. Uh, I just thought it was so poignant, so good, everything. Um, after that, it might be, it might be Reservoir. Yeah. And then uh, maybe Inglorious. Um, uh, what was the other one that he did recently? Hateful Eight. Oh, uh, Hateful Eight. Yeah, Glorious that one Bastards. was there. Yeah. So, so probably Hateful Eight after Inglorious Bastards. Uh, so, I know you love Jackie Brown, and, and so you might be wondering, where the hell is Jackie Brown? And yeah. well, I need to rewatch that one, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like Jackie Brown was underrated. I'm not saying it's like yeah. my favorite. So for me, having watched many times, I've watched uh, Reservoir Dogs, Django and Jane, and Hateful Eight many times, mm-hmm. and I've watched scenes from it many times. I, there's just so many, yeah, just awesome nuggets. I recently rewatched Reservoir Dogs all the way through from beginning to end, <laughs> and was just blown away. It's like so this. Good. This is such like. No one is making movies like this. Yeah. And at the time, in 1992, <laughs> it was just unheard of. Um, especially, well, anyway. Yeah. Uh, the, the next class are having watched many scenes many times and, and enjoyed a lot and better right. than like 99.9% of the other movies out there. Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, Kill Bill and Death Proof, I watched once. They were they were great. Interesting. They were interesting. Yeah. Probably better than 75% of the movies that are made in, you know, in any given year. But I've never returned back yeah. and, and don't care to. Agree. Um, once Upon a Time, I guess I would put in the top category there, too. If I was to rank everything... I got to put Reservoir Dogs. I'm sort of a purist. Like, you know, Star Wars 4 is like sure. my, my favorite. I used to think Empire was, but we're, while you were watching all of them, I was like, <laughs> Star Wars 4 is just a solid movie. So um, <laughs> Bottle Rocket is one of my favorite Wes right. Anderson movies. So you usually give it to that or- the, OG. <laughs> the, the first REM album, Murmur, is one of my favorite albums, of, you know, of all time. Well, I usually tend to go for the second one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I was there. I saw Reservoir Dogs when it came out. Oh. You know, so when Pulp Fiction came out, I was like, oh, he made another one. Right, which I, I definitely was not. In fact, so if, if I yeah. saw Pulp Fiction, that was my first Tarantino movie, you know. It's sort of like I like Gish better than I like right. Siamese Dream. Anyway, so where would I put it? I don't know. I'd, it's hard to know now because it's, it's still kind of fresh. Yeah, fresh. Okay, so um, I gave, yeah, okay, great story. Okay, let's talk about the Manson family because, you know, people are yep. emailing us and say, talk about this movie, talk about the Mansons. What do you think about the depiction of the Manson family? I thought it was awesome. I mean, the thing, actual thing, is horrible and terrible. I'm saying the depiction was so good. Just the, the first of all, he did such a good job with the time, like just depicting that time. It's not, it's before my time, but I, I was in the I was alive at a time where I could sense where things had come from in the last ten or twenty years. So it felt so good, so real. And then that whole Hollywood time, it felt like he depicted it so well. And then so then the kids, the hippies. 
hitchhiking in the street and like kind of this wild abandon. And then the, he, when he goes, uh, when Brad Pitt goes to the commune and they're all so perfectly brainwashed. It was oh so good. Uh, also from what I've uh, read and or watched as far as documentaries of, of them. Uh, granted, they didn't show Manson or a lot of the videos they made and a lot of things. But other than that, man, it, it, there was a lot of bells being rung as I was watching that of like, yeah, that that seems that seems believable. That seems realistic, um, and and creepy, like very creepy. Yeah, you know, like just the that whole scene where he's asking about the owner of the ranch, and they're like, uh, I wouldn't recommend going up. You know, like on, and all those interactions are great. Um, and of course, you know that well. He's this badass. So, but but even with all that, you're, you're still getting the sense of dread, um, and then knowing what happened. That in real life with the murders, just that whole scene leading up to that was so creepy and foreshadowy and um, just dreadful. It was dreadful. Yeah. I, I went and saw it twice. And the second time I went with Drain and one of his friends. And I, on the way into the movie theater, I asked uh, Drain's friend, I was like, so do you know much about the Manson murders? And he's like, well, kind of. And I was like, well, let me give you kind of a real quick rundown so that you can enjoy this movie a little bit. Because I you wouldn't know what the hell is happening. Right. And, and so I gave him a quick rundown. And then right after the movie, he was like, thank you so much for telling me. Because I, I would have had no idea yeah, what they fair. were I wouldn't have known that was Charlie Manson because they don't, they don't focus on that. I wouldn't have He's known. He's only in one scene. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that must be. Oh, yeah. It's totally Charles Manson right there. Plus, I knew I've I've delved into that story so much that I knew he was in you know he knew that house and blah blah, blah. and the Manson family, you know, and all the details about that. The guy that I went with, he he was like, I wouldn't have known who those people were. I wouldn't have known Sharon Tate. I I, I didn't know she, I didn't know who she was. Like if if you mentioned Sharon Tate, I would have thought is that a fictional character? You know, yeah. is the Leo character? You know, because the Leo character is fictional. The Brad Pitt's character is fictional. So, yeah, the Sharon Tate. But many of the other ones are. Right? They must yeah. all be fictional. Right. You know what I mean? And so uh, uh, I wonder about some people who don't know enough about the Manson family. Because you have to know some pretty detailed things to, to enjoy the, the – the, the irony. The, the historical <laughs> – well, and the, the historical depiction of, of trying – like the yeah. Manson family girls wandering around downtown – well, I actually, that's a great point. I also wonder if someone that doesn't know any of this would sit there going like, what kind of cult like that? That would be so unrealistic. No right. one would go live on a ranch with like, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I thought it was well depicted. It's, you know, it's hard to depict something like this because it's so foreign to our understandings today. Right. It's such a weird part of our history. And you know, we don't really have anything that's similar to that. Like when we watch this movie, it's like, well, we know what actors are because we have actors today. Stuntmen, we, you know, we can imagine what that's like. We can imagine what an agent is like in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, all these things are uh, taking drugs, having a dog. There's all these very relatable things. So even if you hadn't been aware of those times and those right. kind of versions of them, you know the, the idea. Right, because yeah. you, you've lived it or you've seen it depicted. But the late 60s early 70s america and in hollywood was so weird and unique that uh, i thought that tarantino depicted it well especially if you knew the history a, a little bit like the anti-cop sentiment i guess we can kind of relate to that today um because that reeled back in the 80s and 90s and has re-emerged right but it was really bad in the late 60s, right. early 70s. The police officers were much more brutal than they are today. They, uh, there were no you know, badge cams or cell phones right. to, to right. stop them from doing things. Um, they had just, they were mostly white people, yeah, the, yeah. the cops. Um, so the feeling was the, the battle, the war between certain groups of people, including white people and the police force was real. Um, the anti-establishment nature of teenagers at the time was was off the charts. Yeah. Um, and just anti-adult in if general. You weren't cool if you weren't that. Well, not only that, but it, the adult world was so illogical and teenagers were not paid attention to. Right. Uh, many a times they weren't even allowed to vote 
you know, the mm-hmm. voting age, blah, blah. And so this, um, this feeling of the baby boomers and how many of them there were and how they were starting to get power and education and money and free time and their, the cultural force of the music and the, you know, folk music movement and everything and how they felt empowered, but there was no accommodation from any of the adults or, or the right. establishment. And, and so, not, not to mention that, like when it came to females, for example, right? Females were so unpowerful in society. Right. So you could actually see that even though the Manson cult was completely patriarchal, at the same time, you could imagine how it would offer more power right. and potential illusion of success in existence for these females. Agency, yeah. you know, like a choice to do yeah. something. You know, like I get to live the life I want to live. I get to have sex when I want to have sex. I get to, um, you know, not necessarily have to just sit at home and be a baby-making machine. Um, The free love of the time, the drugs, the guru culture at the time is something Mm, that I think you you pick up in this movie. The the fact that at the time, people thought it was the end of the world. You know, the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. they did not know that was going to end. Mm. The nuclear holocaust was, was a very corner, yeah. very real thing the cuban missile crisis was in the early 60s that was yeah. a very real thing people you know unless you really understand history or lived during the time it was a it was an apocalyptic time it wasn't yeah. like flower child and the beatles and nice things you know it was it was an intense time and right. we had the most domestic terrorism in the early 70s we've ever had in history uh like hundreds of times more deaths domestic terrorism then yeah. than today. The difference is today we have Twitter. Back then, you might not even hear about many of the dom- – imagine yeah. a domestic terrorist event like a like a bombing, like a mail, which is what a lot of them did. They would mail bombs like the Unabomber. Imagine today a professor gets a – or someone who works for NASA or someone – a government official or a mayor gets a bomb, blows up, and his hand is is blown off. Imagine how fast of a story that would be. Back right. then, it was like you might not hear about that ever because you just yeah. didn't happen to flip totally. by that that you know newspaper story. And so there was just a lot of, of really horrible things happening at the time. And there was because there was this big divide between the adults and some of these kids. There was no guidance from the adults because the adults didn't have any way of 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 knowing how to guide. So it's just complete disconnect between the generations. The thing that I'll say is the next – so me and Stacy, we saw Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. And then the next day, um, I saw uh, Charlie Says, which is a movie about the Manson family. It's, the, it's probably the best movie about the Manson family I've ever seen. It's out right now? Uh, it came out a year ago or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Where did you see it? On Netflix or something? Um, I think so. Okay. And so Charlie says, so if you want to know I about the man, that. if you want to know about Manson family, you want to see that it, it essentially it follows. So Gilly from Game of Thrones uh-huh. uh, is the main character and she enters the man- Manson family. Oh, okay. And so we see her and she's involved in the second murders of the second night. And the, we, there's two timelines. There's her entering the cult. And then the second timeline is when she's in prison mm. and she's basically being deprogrammed. I see. By this social worker. And it, I think, is the best movie about Manson because if you really want to understand, in the similar way that the best thing you could ever watch about O.J. Simpson is, um, I think it's called Once Upon a Time in America or something. What's it called? O.J. Simpson. Uh, it's a documentary about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, um, the best thing you want to see about Larry Nasser is the, um, the HBO documentary because it's not the tagline like Larry Nasser evil or O.J. Simpson evil or Charlie Manson evil. What you see in Charlie says is that these this was a and it, it was a cult, but it had benefits. You know, people came to it for a reason. Ninety nine percent of the time, it was a good place. And although you might look at it and think it looks weird, the camaraderie, the sisterhood that these women had. The love that they had for each other, the support they gave each other, the fun they had, the the way that their life was like a utopia in some ways. They lived off the land. They dumpster dove. They they right. they didn't um, consume. They didn't uh, hurt anybody. 
they until they did, but yeah, until they did. Uh, but primarily because Manson was, um, in my estimation, what happened was drugs could have affected him. I think in some level, but I also think his narcissism, his narcissistic supply. Every time he, so when you when you're a narcissist, you believe erroneously that if you have your narcissistic supply met, you will feel finally okay. So you're Charlie Manson. You're like, well, if I can get one person to hang out with me and, Mm -hmm. and, and look up to me, then I'll feel okay. Yeah. Because people like this grew up very in, in very attachment injured environments growing up. And so they resort to this notion, false notion that if they're the center of the universe and people are worshiping them, then they'll have attachment security. And they will for a very brief amount of time, but not much. Anyway, so if I get one person to worship me, if I get 10 people to worship me, if I get 10 people to have sex, you know, if I can manipulate them, then, then, I'll, then I'll know I'm a good enough person because mm. they, if I can get 10 people to believe every word I say, um, and then I get that, and it no longer you know, it works for a week, but right. then after, okay, now I need to be a rock star. And this was the turning point for the Manson, for Manson and the family was, you know, he had the Beach Boys in his back pocket, or at least one of them. He, the Beach Boys actually recorded one of his songs, and he was on his way up. And if he had actually become a rock star, like a Jim Croce, he was sort of a Jim Croce sort of character, yeah. and had a string of you know, five hits over the next 10 years, and toured, and he would have just been one of those asshole musicians. Nugent style. Yeah, you just he would be a famous guy, and you'd hear these stories about how he was uh, a off, jerk. Yeah. yeah, a jerk at times, because he would be getting that narcissistic supply. He would. And he be, might have still gone a little like psychotic, but well, psychotic meaning delusional, but no, or delusional. Yeah, he wasn't delusional. He was never delusional. Well, I just mean like all those videos of him kind of saying ridiculously but i think he's trying to get attention i I don't and or he believes because he was getting the. well right i I guess what i mean is you you might have still seen those kinds of videos but not connected to him having orchestrated murders more like that dude oh kind of like kanye you know like something like that exactly yeah kanye is actually a really good example so um in someone who's injured who needs to get that attention, and when they don't get it, it they crumble very quickly. Yeah. It's not that they're just like, oh, bummer, I'm not getting attention. It's like the the floor drops out from underneath them, and they feel like they're nothing. They're empty. They're nobody. And so Manson, uh, if he had been, you know, if he had been signed and blah, 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 then that's the route. But he wasn't. He was summarily rejected by, and they depict this in, in Charlie Says pretty well, and that's when things start to take a turn. He was controlling before, right. and he would occasionally lash out at people. But this is when he's like, okay, well, what can I do? Well, what I can do is I can start the race war, and I will be the one to start the race war. Right. And I, and I think he legitimately believed this. I think he legitimately thought, if I can get, if, if I can get these, this gaggle of 15, 20 people to do this one thing, we can sp- we can be the spark that lights the fire. Because right. again, to us now, we're like, what? But at the time, there was massive amounts of tensions between right. young people and old, between black people and white, between uh, people who hated the cops and the cops, between rich and poor, between government and non-government. There was like, uh, there and there were many fires that were happening and there were many organizations, domestic terrorism, which you could argue Manson was, that believed the same thing, that yeah. they were going to be, they were going to be the chevron that starts the race war. Right. That was going to be like the black man standing up and uh, carving out his own state or his own country or his own whatever. Um, and so, but the, uh, but the, that was like the ideal, but. He didn't really have an organized plan around right. it. Right. <laughs> he, he was not a smart dude. Right. <laughs> you know, a, a smarter person would be like, one, sometimes it takes longer to be famous. Um, he just wasn't a very commonsensical right. person and kind of impulsive at the same time. And so, and I think he thought, well, this will satisfy my narcissistic need. And then it landed him in jail, of course. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood... Uh, I thought 
from the perspective we see it depicted it pretty well in that you know the Brad Pitt Pitt character befriends one of these girls and she's very uh, sexually promiscuous. You get the sense she's like seventeen or sixteen or something, or fifteen or something. Yeah. And she is of the streets. She hates cops. And then when Brad Pitt proves himself to, he's like, I'm not. You know, this is kind of bullshit. I yeah. think all this, whatever is happening here, is bullshit. <laughs> I'm not going to play your game. Then she turns on him, right? Because that means you know she's in a cult and she's you're the blind one. Yeah. Um, and they depict that. So seeing those two, seeing those two movies, like tonight, you should watch Charlie okay. says <laughs> because seeing them back to back because it's shot at the, it's all shot. At, both movies are shot on location where the Manson family Whoa. was. Like okay. I don't know if the ranch still exists, but it almost looks they like shot it at the same place. But okay. it looks like they shot at the same set. Wow, okay. So I'm guessing they just left it or something. The ranch. That's crazy. Um, some people don't like the ending. Have you heard that? Of Once Upon a Time? Yeah. From what perspective? Uh, I haven't heard that. Oh, I guess you haven't been talking. So no. many people... And you know why I haven't been talking, right? Because like, yeah. until I watch something, yeah. So many people... So sp- we're going to spoil. Spoiler alert. Quentin Tarantino uh, plays with the Manson family story at the very end. Yeah. Instead of... So basically, in the real story, they march up to the um, house of... Sharon Tate, they kill Sharon Tate and with her unborn child, with her unborn child and her and her three f- house friends, including the guy played by um, Herschel. Yeah, what's his friend Emil and Emil Hirsch. Hirsch, and because because Leo uh, DiCaprio is uh, annoyed with this loud car, he comes out, yells at them, and then they decide, they leave. They come back they're like we're going to kill those people. Yeah. Like, screw Sharon Tate. We're going to kill these people. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know. And they don't realize that he's not alone in the house. And there's a vicious dog and yeah, a... Even more vicious bodyguard, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And a flamethrower. <laughs> and a flamethrower, yeah. Uh, and so they all die. Sharon Tate lives. By the way, I was laughing my ass off during yeah. those scenes. Yeah. Me too. And the audience. So I saw it packed audiences like opening week. The whole – so what people are saying about the last scene is that it – they love the movie. You know, they're like, oh. Uh, what they're saying is like it's not a very Tarantino-like movie. You know, it's like – you know, there's not a lot of gore. There's not a lot of misogyny. You know, it's, it's like a beautiful movie. And then at the end, he ruins it by making it a Tarantino movie. What do you think about that, Berto? <laughs> that is the most ridiculous thing. First of all, I guess I could see – so a Tarantino movie is not a Tarantino movie because of violence and gore. It's the dialogue. Now, it happens to be in a lot of his movies, violence and gore. But, you know – but a, but a movie like Reservoir Dogs, for example, there's not a lot of violent, no. violence and gore. No. It's like nine – it's packed to the hill with dialogue. Now, th- what there is, and this one has it in spades, is implied threat. And this has implied threat from the very beginning, especially if you know the story. I guess if you don't know the story, the, the Manson story, maybe you don't catch on to that. But for, for anyone that knows the story, man, so ominous, right? Because you're like, oh, God, there they are. Oh, they're trying to hit her right. Oh God! It, like it's just, and then you see Sharon Tate, and you you know what's coming, and it's just so horrible. So, anyways, that's there in a brilliant fashion. It in a way that tension he builds at the beginning of Inglorious Bastards stretched out for most of the movie. Uh, and then, of course, yes. So Tarantino is a visual visual guy, and he loves his revenge fantasies. What of his movies doesn't have some revenge porn right. in it? Django Unchained. Uh, yeah. Inglorious Bastards. Absolutely. Pulp Fiction has a whole revenge sequence in it. Right. You know, so I'd say it's, it's as Tarantino as it gets. I thought the violent moments were glorious. It was so good. And this is the part where I'm like, maybe I'm part psychopath because when I see the bad guys getting it in a movie, I'm like, yes! You know? Yeah. So I will say... And I enjoyed it, but thinking back when the girl is in the pool and she's like flailing her arms, yeah. it's a little goofy. <laughs> it is I mean, about, no, it, I mean, it's sure. really goofy and sure. a little distracting. Like, Plus, she would have been like go underwater, right? Of, you know, sure. Yeah, it, like that. Although I was screaming when Leo get it was, it was funny because yeah. like 
you see Leo go away, and you're like, okay, he's getting away. But then you just see his foot, because I, I watched it. I paid attention. The second time, they edit it, so you just see his foot through some lawn furniture, and you see the bottom of, yeah. <laughs> of the uh, flamethrower, and, yeah. and you think, oh, my God, does he have it? Yeah. And then, pff, yeah. yeah. Now, I, I thought, but but Quentin has goofy moments in his movies. That's also part of it, you know? Django Unchained, for sure. Hateful Eight for sure, uh, Reservoir Dogs not so much. Uh, but like Pulp Fiction, I mean, bring out the gimp and like, but not like, and the uncomfortable watch up my ass. He's got yeah, goofiness. So uncomfortable watch up my ass, definitely. But still, anyway, tonally, uh, that would be just the the one little change. And I mean, I would like make. Kill Bill, like it's full of goofy, right? Yeah. But I definitely like the ending. And the thing is, that's not the real ending. Right. The real ending is, I mean, it's not the real ending of the movie. No. The real no. ending is when Leo is walking around, you know, seeing his friend go off and go like, uh, what does Brad Pitt say? Something like, I'm one with the universe or what was he? <laughs> um, he uh, said, well, because he's like, well, I, look, I'm not dying today. So don't worry about that. But he's still tripping. And yeah. He, he's, oh, right, right. He he's says still... some sort of trip <laughs> yeah. phrase like, well, here we go. No. Oh, I, and away. And away we go. We is go. that a Rick and Morty reference or is Rick and Morty a reference to something that they're referencing? Oh, I don't know. Because that's what Rick says. That's one of his catchphrases. So. No way we go. So then Leo, whom, whom you're pulling for the whole movie, yeah. who is a very relatable character imposter syndrome beats himself up right. drinks too Which, much by the way, oh my god what a performance yeah i love leo i would lick ice cream off of leo yeah i yeah the the whole leo character it you know his acting is so good that it just sort of passes by you yeah. without you really even noticing yeah um because like i think like once upon a time in hollywood a lot of people focus on the manson stuff but that's really very small yeah Except for it is this – there is this beautiful – and I thought it was beautiful. He he was giving a gift to the lives that could have been in general. Right. And with Sharon Tate especially, he did such a beautiful yeah. – like I don't know if you know the backstory that the the sister was really concerned about this movie. Uh, or not sister. Um, what would have been the relationship? I forget. Someone from the Tate family was really um, – Oh, must be the daughter of could be Roman could be Polanski sister could be sister. But the the point is that he, when he explained to her what he was trying to do, she was like, "Okay, I get it." And she was interviewed, and she was like, "No." After talking to him, I, because it's this beautiful like what her life could have been. Yeah, and 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 it, the beautiful moments of her looking at herself and showing her talent that she had. Right, and there there were no negative portrayals of her. Like she was portrayed as this like super happy, super welcoming person, yeah. beautiful in the prime of her life, and and um, and I was expecting a little bit like, well, what's the dark side? There was no dark side. She was just great, and then and Leo, of course, completes his arc, and you just know, oh, he's gonna get her a Polanski movie. Oh, yay! Yeah, and maybe influence Polanski not to do bad things with kids. Oh, who knows? <laughs> right, like um, Clint Eastwood, for example. Right, he could have had a similar fate as mm -hmm. the Leo character in that he was typecast and then he went to do spaghetti westerns and then at some point Clint Eastwood somehow got a break to uh, it, it would have been much later because in the 70s he was doing like Any Which Way But Loose and all those and the, right. and the Dirty Harry movies <laughs> but at some point he like graduated to, to more interesting roles and yeah, probably and more fulfilling director and yeah anyway so yeah, I thought the same thing. It was just, I, I didn't know where it was headed, and I wasn't really thinking. Did you? Did you know where it was headed? Well, I, no, I, I, um, I had a couple of thoughts uh, because one, I was really sad that I found out ahead of time that it involved the Manson family. I was really sad because I would have loved that moment in the movie where I'm like, oh my god, is this what I think it right? That, but fine. But I knew what I did have a feeling is because. I like I know Tarantino and I know he loves his revenge stuff and I, I kind of got the sense that Brad Pitt was like this badass so I'm like oh I think I, I kind of sensed what was going to happen there oh really you know, yeah I didn't but I, I didn't. thought I thought it was going to be different I thought they were going to come to Sharon Tate's they were going to go in I even thought you know what at one point I thought Brad Pitt was going to come back from the walk with the dog and 
uh, Leonardo was going to be dead. And then they were either in the middle of or had just killed the other ones. And then he was going to go back to the ranch and lay waste. Oh, like a Django and Shane. Yeah. I thought that was going to happen. Or even that the two of them, like maybe he wasn't fully, like they, they were going to go. And finally, I kind of thought he was going to do like a real life cowboy revenge at the ranch. You know. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. And uh, and again, forget about the ending. The, the first 95% of the movie is just these beautiful, interesting depictions of a character who's trying and he's he has a craft and he's interacting with other people there's not a lot of cheap shots and and um, he's so good too like that was the other thing yeah. they could have made him like he's delusional he's not that good. Yeah. but then they show when he can act yeah and you're like oh yeah. what could be and that he sort of stuttered in, re- in when in he was right? uh, I want to talk about Bruce Lee cuz as an Asian people are always asking <laughs> yes. me uh, cuz did you know this is another kerfuffle yes totally uh, I have watched many, including Joe Rogan's. Uh, yeah. Oh, about Bruce Lee in this movie? Yeah. Oh, what is Joe Rogan saying? Oh, he was disappointed that they portrayed him that way because uh, he, you know, and he had a debate with, um, what's his name that's often on his podcast? Because, uh, you know, from his perspective, Bruce Lee wouldn't have been that, like, that arrogant in front of someone like that and blah, blah, blah. But there's definitely a debate. And, and Quentin has been interviewed about it. And he's like... No, I I heard Bruce Lee say stuff like that. Like not him, but you know, like um, he he was Quentin was literally basically saying that uh, that's not an exaggeration. It's not an yeah. exaggeration for him to say that he could have kicked uh, uh, what's his name's uh, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Ali's, but that uh, Linda Lee apparently wrote that in her autobi in the biography or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For pe- people like to rewrite history. Yeah, and it's like. Today, Bruce Lee is like this god among <laughs> Asians, and I'm Asian, god among martial artists. Um, he, he's, you know, he's Asian, so he must have been a sweet guy. He must have been humble. He was always like the, you know, the sidekick on Green Hornet, and he was, you know, this, just this master and blah, blah. He was a human fucking being yep. who was absolutely stuck on himself. Now, he should be stuck on himself. Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Muhammad Ali was stuck on himself yeah, way more. Because uh, uh, like, here's the difference. Let's let's say that this you know, and Quentin even says like, look, I took liberties. But let's say that this movie is is mostly bullshit or whatever. But even what he said wasn't. Oh, of course I could defeat him, right? It was like a, a calculated response. What would Muhammad Ali have said about anyone, right. right? Like, are you kidding me? I would wipe my ass with anyone in this world. Yeah, Bruce Lee's uh, calling card was I can kick anyone's ass. Right. He wasn't like, I'm a humble actor who <laughs> likes to have friends. Right. He was, I am a killer. And now he, it's debatable whether or not in casual conversation. Oh, right. And like, that's to say, it's a movie. And who knows? But I absolutely can see it. Um, the, the little I know about Bruce Lee, and of course I never knew him, but I could absolutely see him doing that based on the things I did know about. Just find an actual interview from him at the prime, like in the early 70s, where he's where he knows he's on camera and he knows people are watching and just watch the way he talks. He's not a humble dude. No. You know, he's not like, well, you know, he's like Jackie Chan. He's, he's humble. <laughs> ja- Jackie Chan is humble. Yeah. You know, when Jackie Chan gets interviewed, he's just like, well, sometimes I, I follow my... And, and he's not just like, well, I'm the best. But, you know, Jackie Chan can be stuck on himself. If you ask right. him the right question, he can be like, well, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm fucking damn good. Right. Okay, so the daughter spoke out and said, uh, Shannon Lee is her name. And she's saying, uh, you know, in response to... Because um, afterwards, there's been this lots of talk and Quentin Tino's being interviewed, blah, blah. Shannon Lee says... You know, Quentin Tarantino couldn't shut up about it. That would be, you know, oh, he could, Tarantino should shut up about it. That would be really nice. Or he could apologize and he could just say, I don't really know what Bruce Lee was like. I just wrote it for my movie, but that shouldn't be taken as how he really was. I mean, I guess that is one thing you could say. Yeah. Um, now, in the original script, did you know that Brad, Pete, Brad Pitt's character actually beats him in the original script? I didn't. And Brad Pitt was so uncomfortable with that that he made Tarantino change the script. And I actually think that's for the better. Because, right. you know, 
from seeing the previews, or actually, I actually had seen a thumbnail of the controversy where uh, Brad Pitt is twisting Bruce Lee's arm, and I assumed that that was what what what, what would happen. Uh, I actually loved how it resolved because they actually they made Bruce Lee still into a badass. Yeah, he's going up against probably the best of the best of the stunt doubles who right. are badasses. Right, and. The, and it first gets a massive kickoff, and then second, you know, gets thrown in, and that's now we're one on one. But right, and the only thing you can really say about Bruce Lee getting thrown was that his mistake was that he accepted the challenge that he didn't realize that Brad Pitt was actually was, was an okay fighter, right? And so he he kicks him in the chest. Uh, Brad Pitt goes flying. Yeah. Brad Pitt says, "Try that again." Yeah. And Bruce Lee stupidly says. Okay. okay, I'll do the exact same yeah, thing. Exactly. If Bruce Lee would have been like, nah, I'm not going to do the exact same thing. I'll, right. I'll, he could have won. So he's still a badass. He did the exact same thing. Brad Pitt was ready for right. it through him. And then uh, and then, then they start fighting and they're going at it. And then it's cut off. We def- yeah. we never know who's going to win. Right. And, 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 and to be fair, there might have not been a winner because they weren't trying to kill each other. Yeah. Not only that, uh, Quentin was asked, about this and one of the things he said like look in real life Brad Pitt could not beat Bruce Lee okay but my character that I invented can if I say he can beat him he can beat him because I invented him it's like asking can Darth can uh, Dracula beat (laughs) Bruce Lee in a match Um, which is a great point right like it's a fiction and there's a lot of of (laughs) one hero worship but particularly in martial arts there's this thing in martial arts and because I had a friend who studied underneath a student of Bruce Lee. And the in it's a Bruce Lee invented his own style of yeah. martial arts. I can't remember what's called. Kikundo. Okay. And so he studied that under anyway. And the and one, the way he talked about his teacher, let alone Bruce Lee, was always like in this very um unrealistic, grandiose manner. Also in martial arts in Asia as well there's, there's this delusional worship, cult-like worship of the leader of these right. pa- of these packs. So much so that all you got to do is YouTube, Google some of these uh, videos of these masters, quote unquote, who can they don't even have to touch <laughs> their opponents. Dimak is actually not even Dimak. Because Dimak is death touch. These are. You don't even touch them. <laughs> right. That, you just, just look it up on YouTube if you haven't yeah, seen it. The, ma- so... the old master will be so revered that – and he'll be like – he'll be demonstrating his mastery and his students will be coming at him and he won't even touch him. And he just sort of waves his hand and the student goes flying. Yep. Now, it, it's possible that it's psychogenic, that the students actually feel a force pushing them away that's subconscious because they're, they're so respectful – it's also possible they're just completely faking it because you know it's, just, it's a, a mix. Ma- it's a mass illusion and a mix because like like you know I, did you ever attend um, like the hyper Christian revivals in the huge churches and things like that right 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 like and I witnessed people speaking in tongues right. and being healed and all right. these things and I get, and I knew many of them and I knew that they weren't paid to fake it right it's not it's sort of like hypnotism there, yeah. there, there's a there's a pathway to our brains that can make that happen. So there's this – in martial arts culture, there's this thing that you have to – it's sort of like hip-hop culture where if you're in hip-hop, generally speaking, you have to brag about how good you are at hip-hop. Or if you're in indie rock, you have to you know, adamantly avoid bragging about the fact that you're good at indie rock. There's cultural <laughs> notions, and there's a cultural notion in martial arts that if you're of a certain level, you are invincible – and you're not just invincible, but your your character is invincible. Right. You cannot be criticized. Right. Everything you do is is the best. You're you're at one with nature. You're at one with your soul. You're perfectly <laughs> enlightened. Everything right. you say is brilliant. You can never be beat. And of course, that's ridiculous. These are human beings. But and, if you, and, sorry, if you don't believe that as a student. You don't have a path forward that's right. as exciting. Right. Well, and you might be kicked out. Right. So, and yeah, it's so much more exciting to think that's a that's, God I that's going like to that. teach me. And so uh, there is that culture, and there's absolutely that culture with Bruce Lee. 
and it would probably existed back then as well. So if you're Bruce Lee and you're like the most well-known martial artist in the entire world, do you think he's going to have a lot of yes men around him? Yeah. Do you think he's going to have a huge ego? Yeah. Do you think that like Michael Jordan had a big ego at his top? Do you think Tiger Woods <laughs> thinks he's good at golf? Yeah. Do you think Bruce Lee thought he was a badass fighter? Yes. So yeah. for him to say... And, and he liked to entertain people. And the other thing as an Asian-American that I will talk about is that I grew up in the, 60s, in the 70s and 80s when people assumed I knew martial arts. <laughs> and I would get this vibe from people sometimes who didn't know me. And they'd be like, oh, show me a move. Show me a move. <laughs> there was this fascination with white people with Asian right. Orientalism of martial arts. They thought – because they would see the Kung Fu movies and they thought – you know, I had people – who wouldn't fight me because I was Asian. They were like, well, that guy's Asian. He's going to kill you. <laughs> and I was large for my age anyway, right. but so I probably, I probably, compounded the problem. I probably would have killed him. But, but the, they would avoid fighting me because I was Asian. There was this thing back then that isn't present now because you have more experience with Asians. But there's a thing back then. It was just like that dude knows – not only does he know martial arts, but he he is really good at. He's going to do a triple right. flip right. and like pop your eye out. And, they, and that's what we saw in all movies. As soon as an right. Asian person walked on, right, they were either a joke or they were a martial artist. Right, they yeah, that and was it. So, uh, I had that experience too of like so Bruce Lee. Uh, if we saw his, if if this movie was focused on Bruce Lee, which would be kind of cool. I wonder if Quentin Tarantino would do that next. He's in his trailer, and he's just trying to live his life, and he's just a regular person. He's just, you know, trying to have his life. And he walks out into public, and then all the white people, you notice we come right. on the scene. There's all these white people standing around Bruce Lee, and they're, they are expecting Bruce Lee to be the version of Bruce Lee they want him to Absolutely. be. And so Bruce Lee, the person, steps in, and I was okay, well, if people want me to, I guess I need to, I need to be the, you know, right. uh, the Uncle Tom here. And, like, <laughs> and, and, and we can't forget, like— so the guy was a physical specimen outside of the norm by far. Yeah. He was incredibly fast. He was uh, uh, like, a, how do I say this? Uh, such a coordinated individual. Yeah. Yeah. So he could impress the hell out of anyone casually. Right. Now, does that mean he could have beat everyone in a UFC tournament? Like, that's very different. Yeah. The other thing is, he didn't just have that scene. He had the other scenes where he showed Bruce Lee training uh, the stars training what's her name and training uh, right. her friend and those scenes were not presented as a joke right in fact she was remembering that she was training with him and then, then she used it in the movie and everyone loved that scene in the movie it was presented honor, I think in an honorable way right. the one criticism that I do see or that I felt a little bit from the daughter was it, it may it may under undermine how hard Bruce Lee had to work in that industry to be respected at all. Yeah, and so I, I could understand that that perspective. The last thing I'll say is that okay, let's say that he is portrayed badly. You know, uh, it's unfair. It was a little too arrogant. Blah blah blah. A lot of people in history are portrayed badly. Paul McCartney in Backbeat is portrayed yeah. as this whiny little bitch. <laughs> And John Lennon is this cool, suave, right. reasonable guy. And Paul McCartney's like, man, 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 I'm jealous. Man, man, man. And it, when I watched Backbeat, I was just like, holy <laughs> crap. Who, the person who wrote this script was definitely not on Paul's side. No, he's a Jonophile. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, I think What's Her Face, the woman in the movie who she was like one of the script, like, oh, ins inspired. Anyway. So. Certainly, people in history are, def you know, Nixon in certain movies is probably depicted unfairly at times, you know. Um, JFK is probably depicted. But the difference here is that Asians are almost never represented. And so when you finally get a character in an all- It was a historical- All character. white fucking film, once again, <laughs> another, you know, movie about white people- and as an Asian American, I'm like, oh, another Asian American. How great. And they're not, like, at least likable. Then right. it hurts. Right. So if there were 25 other depictions of Bruce Lee from various different angles, and then they had this one, yeah. then Shannon Lee would be like, well, whatever. Right. But when you finally get a right. rep, you finally get a depiction. 
and it looks not ideal, right. then it hurts even more. Of course, more. of course. It's, um, you know, the other thing I thought about was, look, as a character development thing, he's trying to establish for the audience that Brad Pitt's character isn't just a good stuntman. He is the ultimate badass. Just period. He's the ultimate manly yeah, man's I feel badass. Like, I feel like Tarantino's script didn't really get that across as well as... I mean, he did a little bit of that, but I don't... I Are think, you kidding me? Yeah. But what? I, well, not in terms of his physical prowess. Let's just put it that way. I thought he did a great job. Like, he, the guy... Well, so... Because that would undermine the point I was making. So let me finish my point, and then you can still undermine it. But because I felt like, look, when who's he going to put up against? Well, he put him up against the hippie. Oh, big deal. He punched the hippie. What? But you put him up against the greatest known fighter in history, apparently, right? That's different to show, like, well, this guy's so good he could go up right. against Bruce what, Lee. What they should have done is they should have shown Bruce Lee kicking some other badass's ass just before... Uh, that's only necessary if everyone in the world doesn't know who the hell Bruce Lee is. But then you, because, well, but a lot of people, even if you do know Bruce Lee, you might think, well, he was a movie star, but was he actually okay. good? I could go along with that, with that rationale. That said, it puts, it puts him in a bind because he can't make, if he made Bruce Lee really just like this wise, calm, humble guy. Not humble. And, I'm just uh, saying like, like. Oh, I'm not di- disagreeing with your previous point. I'm now saying that he had to give a reason why we would feel actually root for Brad Pitt yeah, in the scene. he's being arrogant, yeah. yeah. The last thing I'll say is that Quentin Tarantino movies are almost always criticized for being misogynistic. Berto, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> he's a guy, came from a different era, and yeah, I think his natural inclination, even though he's had a lot of great, strong female stars in his movies. I think his natural inclination is to make a boys movie. And But that's different than being misogynistic. Like actually Sure. Well okay. Because like in Hateful Eight, the uh, Oh, I see what you're saying. What's her face is just routinely uh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. You know. My my bad. Um yeah, I guess if we're stretching the definition, then yes, but otherwise no. No. Then I disagree. I, I think it's a sex I think his movies are somewhat sexist and very male oriented, at least most of them and stuff. Um, but I, I would disagree with the misogynistic part. Yeah. They also say that he's obsessed with feet. And, that and might be. once upon a time in Hollywood, did you notice all the feet? Yes, lots of feet. In fact, that made me very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the dirty feet everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I hate dirty feet. Um, uh, by the way, what, what do you mean? The, Brad Pitt goes parkour style up to the roof. Yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt punches out the hippie in one punch. Yeah, yeah. And gets him to change the freaking tire. And yeah. then, like, that end sequence, like... Yeah, I get it. <sighs> okay. <laughs> and the last thing I'll say about misogyny and Quentin Tarantino is, yeah, I get it. Um, and he's been making movies for 30 years now, so uh, we have to consider the, the time and yeah. era that he, that he was creating back in the day. Uh you, one could argue that there are feminist elements to his movie. I mean, Kill Bill has a central female character who kills everyone. Yeah. Uh, I think the problem is is that his movies are made for a particular sort of audience. It's sort of t- – the, the thing that I always think about is like if – let's say the most famous musician in the world happened to be like world jazz. Yeah. And – Every critic and every human is well. This, this, you know, this famous artist, you know, Unbutu, you know, Smith is like the best. So you got to go see his music. But you're not into world jazz, right? And you walk out and you go like, it was too world jazzy for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, or actually, and, there and, was and, not enough distortion guitar. Yeah, there wasn't. There wasn't enough triangle. You know, yeah. like there wasn't enough opera and. And then you think, and then the person concludes. Therefore, they hate Umbutu Smith is a terrible musician. Well, or actually, they hate that kind of that other kind of music, right? Or those, or they hate people that would like that other kind of music. right. Yeah. They hate. They, oh, how could you like Umbutu Smith? Yeah. What kind of weirdo are you to like that? What's wrong with you that you like that? Everyone say like, well, music is personal. It's it's a taste. Movies are the same. Yeah. 
uh, Quentin Tarantino is a genre. Yeah. He's, to some extent, extended on a genre that ex- has existed as an alternative genre to film sure. for many years. But he's, cre- you know, he sort of created his own he's genre. He created his own brand, that's for sure. Yeah. And if you go to a, you know, Quentin Tarantino movie and expect something different and and be upset and think it's shit and you've never, you know, because like <laughs> people who review this movie, they're like, yeah, everyone likes it, stupid, I've never liked it. And, you know, because I've never liked any of Tarantino movies. And I'm like, well, okay. then I'm not, fine. Great. <laughs> but it's just not your taste. Yeah. It's you, like. <laughs> there's so many, like horror movies, for example. Yeah, it, it, it's like, okay. Uh I don't like horror movies, so when I go to a horror movie, you know, but I don't go like everyone who likes horror movies is an idiot. You're like, Berto, what did you think of the new double chocolate fudge flavor from Baskin Robbins? Like, ooh, don't like it at all. You're like, oh, really? Yeah, no, terrible. And then days later, um, you offer me some vanilla ice cream. I'm like, oh, I hate all kinds of ice cream. I never eat ice cream. It's the worst thing in the world. Now you're like, wait. So then that review you wrote is, is, is irrelevant. Right. Who cares if you thought the double chocolate was terrible? You hate ice cream. Right. <laughs> and that's kind of like, well, if you're going to review a Quentin Tarantino movie and you hate his whole genre, his whole style, then, we, well, fine, but yeah. it's useless. <laughs> Having said that, it, it's not as if Tarantino is a strong feminist director, writer, sure. creator. He is definitely staying within some... Uh, some n- neutral masculinity and some toxic masculinity and and elevating and uh, you know glorifying some toxic masculinity elements for sure yeah. and in fifty years we 're going to look back at it and there 's going to be some snickering the same way that when we look at movies from fifty years like when I see Harvey, for example, which is a beloved movie with uh, you know uh, stuart what 's his name? Jimmy Harvey. Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Oh yeah, I don't know if I've ever oh, seen that. Oh, it's a classic. Uh, no, one of those classics you haven't seen. Hmm. He has an invisible ro- uh, rabbit called Harvey that he sees. Anyway, it's sort of like the Forrest Gump of the fifties or something. And when I watch that movie, it is like so sexist. But at the time, and even into the seventies, you wouldn't see that element of the movie. So, are we going to see that in Quentin Tarantino movies in the future in a way that perhaps? People like me can't see it, and other people can. Um, yeah, undoubtedly. But uh, I, when I'm watching it, I, I'm not. It's not misogynistic in the way that other movies are that would actually turn me off to it. I, I recently started listening to Thousand and One Nights on audio, uh, some, one narration of it, and uh, you know the the opening story. Uh, this vizier is traveling, and he comes and he finds his wife in bed with a black cook and he is so distraught that he chops them both up with his sword. Like that's part of the opening story. And and that one's not like a lesson story. That's like, of course he did. Cause you know, she was sleeping around with him, especially with the black cook. And of course he killed them both with it. Like these are stories from, you know, a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago. Whatever. And so it's like, Times change. People evolve. I think right now, uh, Quentin will probably be a genre that was frozen in time a little bit. And to your point, maybe 50 years from now, we'll laugh a little bit. Well, in this episode, I thought we were going to talk about like 10 different things, but we only got to talk about one thing. It was a fun thing. I loved that thing. Well, that does it for that one thing of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 